Hey, you're listening to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 285, brought to you by Fandango, graphically and iFanboy listeners, just like you. Pick of the Week podcast, episode 285. My name's Paul Montgomery, and I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hi. And Jim Rotskowski. Hi. Paul and Jim are on the show today because both Josh and Ron are on vacation. I don't know how Carol let that happen. I'm not going to say anything against them, but I'm, I'll am i be dead by sunrise, and I managed to make it here. It's, so, it's been a long week. Yeah, that it has. It's been a long week. So, Paul and Jim, thanks for sitting in for the guys who are... One is in Europe and one is moving. Yes. Ooh. To a different state. So there's been a lot going on. And meanwhile, Paul and I have been holding the fort down. I'm <laughs> Sorry. All right. So let's get on with this. All right. <laughs> so you've over with. So at iFanboy.com, we like comics and we read comics. And every week we read a bunch of comics. And then one of the guys picks the best one and writes about it on the website. And we talk about it on this year podcast, along with various other topics of interest. A spoiler warning. This is a review show. We talk about the book. So... If you haven't read the books yet, pause the show, come back. So, okay. Uh, this week, I had a lot of books again. I had about 20 books, and it came down to a flip of a coin. I had two books that I really loved. I had them both in front of me on the desk, and I just basically thought which one I, which one I enjoyed the very most, and I ended up with Avengers 13 from Brian Michael Bendis and Chris Bocciolo. And the thing is, personally, I'm running out of things to say about Bendis' <laughs> Because it's been seven years now that he's been running the Avengers show. He's turned the Avengers into the most important comic books on the market because they are the most popular Marvel books, and Marvel is the most popular company. Therefore, they are the most popular books in comics, and they're the most important. They've been driving the story or the quote-unquote story in the Marvel Universe for years now. And I'm a big fan of Bendis. I know a lot of people aren't. I know this is very very polarizing, no matter how popular they are, but I like – his style. I've always yeah. liked Bennett's style, and I like the way he writes these characters. And I like the fact that he spends as much time or more time on the characters than he does on their adventures, which for me mm-hmm. is a as an adult reader is something I'm looking forward to. I like to know these characters more and more. I like to know what's in their, going on in their heads. And I was thinking about it actually after writing the Pick of the Week review, why I liked this so much because this issue 13 is a Fear itself tie-in, and it takes place basically alongside or behind Fear itself number one. There's a couple of overlapping scenes, and you sort of find out what was going on in the background. Mm-hmm. American and, Blitzkrieg. Right. Yes, and I really enjoyed – it was basically just them talking in the background with this with this framing device, which we'll get to in a second. And I was wondering, why did I enjoy this so much? Because I did. I laughed. I, I was intrigued. I was excited by the end of it. And I think it's because when I was 10 years old, my first real comic that I followed regularly was Justice League International. That was the first book that I picked up regularly on a regular basis, and I actually made a, an effort to collect – you know, up until that point, I just go randomly to the comic store. But that book made me go every time. If you think about what that book was, it was 75% talking, 25% action. And that's being generous. It was probably less action, more talking. Mm-hmm. And so f- to me, Bendis's Avengers books sort of recapture that feel of these characters that you like and they're interesting, just sort of hanging out and talking and you learn about them through their conversations. And I know people want action and I know people want adventure. And I certainly do. I want that too. But I also want the character development. And that's what I think this issue is all about. 
character development, especially between Spider-Woman and Miss Marvel. I sort of feel like I've seen action before, mm-hmm. whereas I haven't, I haven't seen an Avengers book that hooked me like this in, in this way. Like when I was a kid, my team book was the X-Men because they had those occasional softball playing issues and they were sort of notoriously soap opera ish about the interpersonal lives of the characters and stuff. Whereas at, at that same age, you couldn't have given me an Avengers book if it had been stuffed with candy. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought of it as, as completely dry and, and, and personality free, but Bendis is, as I've said, probably every time I end up on this podcast, I am reading comics now because I got alias in my hands at a critical juncture and it almost single-handedly brought me back. So this is my bread and butter. What, what's interesting about this is of all the Avengers books, one of the ones that I'm not reading is new Avengers, which mm-hmm. is I'm finding is kind of a mistake because I think it's more like this issue, which I enjoyed a lot where it does get into the interpersonal relationships and the soap opera aspects and, mm-hmm. and the fun of the Avengers. So it was kind of interesting when I was reading this and I, you know, my guys at my shop pulled it for me and I pull regular, you know, um, uh, regular barbecue edition, uh, Avengers, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, the cool zesty ranch ones. Um, right. But anyway, so I, I, I was like, wait, is, is this new Avengers? And I'm just confused <laughs> because also there are a lot of this. I mean, this is a like a core Avengers team and then a new Avengers team. This is a crossover sort of with both of those. This feels yes. like a combination of those two. But I perfectly welcome it at this point after. I mean, what was a really great Avengers arc with the Red Hood, which was a, a nice action-packed um, Infinity Gems story. This was a nice breather, I thought, and we're not going to include the point one issue. But I thought this was a lot of fun, and I'd while I haven't totally been loving the um, oral history of the Avengers in the backups as a, as just prose pieces, I think it works much better here. Just seeing the the character actions, and I think Bachelot did a really great job with that. Well, that's the framing device that I didn't talk about, which we should mention, which I really enjoyed a lot, was, as Paul said, there was, there's was there been an oral history in the back written in the style of the oral history books that have been coming out a lot lately, you know, these sort of conversation pieces written in paragraph form that, that tell a story of a group. And here we find out the Avengers apparently have been involved in a documentary for the last 20 years because right. <laughs> it starts off in the old, with old Cap and old Tony with the mustache and... An old horror costume, which I didn't pick up till the second page. I just thought that Bachelo drew Tony with the mustache until the he idiot. until he went full Thor beard. Is that That's where I was. I was like, yeah. wait, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, the Avengers have been involved in this first-person documentary for the, their entire career, which is which is fine. It's a fun little device to have them comment reality show style and what's going on around them. And I thought it worked really well. It was it, it was really sharp. Bendis really knows these characters. Bachelo's art was strong. He it. I just I enjoyed the novelty of the I don't want, I wouldn't want this every month clearly but yeah this this one time or however many times we're going to do this it was really fun to get into their heads and see what was going on as they commented on the action around them because while it started off in the past it quickly became the present and then we had them commenting on what was happening in the issue which was mostly about Spider Woman and Miss Marvel being lonely because they've been so busy super, being superheroes they haven't had dates and so then then, then we find out that. There's this forbidden flirtation going on between Spider-Woman and Hawkeye, which was like a bomb being dropped on the team. I just yeah. like when you get behind the character with these characters and find out about their personalities and their lives. And I like the fact that we get this one issue for these characters to bitch about their love lives and flirt with each other. Right. And it's, it makes them more relatable. And if, ultimately, if you're not relating to these characters, then why are you reading them? You know, why are you coming back every month? It's not... Yeah. It's, For me, it's not to watch them punch people. It's because yeah. I, I like them as characters and not, I want to know about their lives. Not to see what Trick Arrow is in there. And, 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 yeah, sort and, of, that's, and that's fun, but it's, it's just yeah. that you, you, you need these issues every now and then to 
let you know that these are people behind the mask. It reminded me of Civil War in that Bendis isn't writing the main event, but he's sort of taking the opportunity to do the things that the main event doesn't have time to do. You know, covering covering some some much needed ground that you you know doesn't necessarily advance the story, but but helps you to appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah, I like the behind the scenes aspect of this, you know, seeing the behind the scenes, what was going through their heads when they were at the big press conference and what was going on at that great Stuart Immonen drawn Fear Itself number one uh, banquet hall scene with Volstagg and everybody. And I thought Volstagg was great in this, too. Just really funny stuff. And I think it's really important for two reasons to have this kind of comic relief, just a little oasis in the middle of the series, you know, as a as a nice buffer after the action packed arc that came before it. And also just as part of the Marvel universe and because fear itself is so sort of heavy as, as much as I'm really enjoying it, this is just sort of a nice, like, like counterbalance to it. Yeah. yeah. And it's and also of, made me excited for the, for the next issue of fear itself, which, which fear itself right. didn't actually do on its own. This, this would be more excited for the next part than fear itself did. It's, I think it's interesting the way it sort of has it both ways in that it's one of those lighthearted uh, softball issues, but at the same time you can tell by the framing device that something horrible is about to happen. So you're you're having that light moment, but also the foreboding and the dread is is coming at the same time. Yeah, and that was really the, the thing that hammered at home. And that that's always that always made the best Justice League issues, where where you had a very funny issue, and then right at the end you got the big dramatic moment that made you go, oh crap, and then you know waiting for the next issue to happen. And, I, and also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Bachelo's art, which I used to hate, and now I love, which it's. <laughs> Yeah, there's something about him late in in recent years. I don't know if he's if his camera is just too close, but I a lot of times I find myself having to hold the book away from my head to figure out what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. If if that isn't too insulting, I, I mean I I think of myself as somebody who loves his art, but especially in the Spider-Man Lizard issues from a few months ago, I was having a hell of a time getting my brain to figure out what my eyes were looking at. But everything about this I thought was spot on. He's got style. And when you read as many comics as we do, you, you start to see how many books have artists with, with no distinguishing style to them. Yeah. Sort of interchangeable. And you, you know a Bachelor book. Yes. And I, I, can, I really appreciate the fact that he's, he's got a style and a flair also. It's exaggerated, you know, in, a, in the way Scotty Young's is exaggerated, but... Mm-hmm. It's it's got style and flair and talent behind it, which I appreciate a bit, especially after a bunch of books this week. Yeah. You could have put any artist on, and it wouldn't have made a difference. I've heard people complain about that, that saying that maybe Bachelor was was misused here, and you would want him more in an in an action packed issue. And thinking about his style, you you might you know be of that opinion, but but just looking through it, I think it was he was a really valuable part of this issue because there are so many talking heads and he does make it so expressive and interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking of other artists that, you know, could have been on this book and it might not have been nearly so dynamic. So I think it, it was actually very valuable that he was right. in. When I when I first got introduced to Bendis, the two most famous the artists he was most famously working with were Gatos and Malayev, and you couldn't be much more different yes. than, mm-hmm. than this. So, you know, ten years ago I would have thought this was a terrible idea, but you know, the the proof is right there in front of you. Now, am I the only person left reading Batman and Robin? I'm reading it. I, I I picked it back up. For, I for confess that I abandoned ship. Now it's this is this is the first issue with Judd Winnick. This is Batman twenty three, and this was the other book that could have been picked up very easily. And it's very similar in many ways to Avengers in that while it was a bit more action packed, it was mostly about character and mostly about Jason Todd, who is in Arkham Asylum in the beginning of this issue. 
I have to admit that against all odds, and it pains me to say this, I'm really not happy about it. I really enjoy Jason Todd in his books now. <laughs> I agree with you, and I, I think it's like it's easy to dismiss him as the red-haired stepchild of the Batman family, but um, <laughs> which, which he is literally now. He is literally has, now. Has but, Judd Winnick adopted him? Well, he's he's kind of like you know how when you know for a while whenever Rene Montoya showed up, they had Rucker write the story. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like we are doing a Jason Todd story, Judd. Here's here. ah, it's the, it's it's I mean, it's like Jim McCann with Hawkeye or something. It's right. like it's okay. his, it sort of feels like his character. And he did a mini series recently on on the Red Hood and, and everything. And what I what I love here is that Jason Todd's argument is that he's homicidal and he wants to kill people, but not regular people. So that doesn't make him crazy. He wants to kill criminals, which makes him sane. <laughs> that's his ploy to get out of Arkham to get put into a general population prison, which he gets put into. And then proceeds to enact a massacre in the, in the, in the right. prison because that's what he wants to do. He wants to he wants to go to that place that Batman would never go to. And so in that sense, there's a lot of fighting and action, but it was also a lot of bit about into the head of Jason Todd, which I found fascinating. And I love I love that there's this evil Robin out there yeah. because yeah. that is Batman's worst nightmare, almost worse than ba- Robin dying, is one of them turning evil and then becoming everything Batman hates. But it's not it's not a failure of action. It's a failure of philosophy. And at the same time, now you've got a guy who has all the training and all the ability that Robins have. And so you've got this guy running around prison killing people because he's got all the training Batman's given him. And it, I, I loved this issue. I was absorbed. I was I was fascinated by the end when the Thundercats show up. To <laughs> know, the him. Thundercats show up to <laughs> rescue him. That's great. It was a bit bizarre, but I'll figure. We'll find out what happens. <laughs> right. It's a, it's it's a lion, tiger, and a dinosaur guy. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, dinosaur soldier from Axe Cop, it looks like. Um, it, he's being transported in a prison uh, van, and the van gets gets run off the road and blown up, and then the, the reveal that the Thundercats have arrived. There's so, some facsimile of them. Yeah, we so, don't know what they are. but Robin and the Thundercats and the Axe Cop dinosaur inside a Punisher plot. Basically. Uh, Basically so this, yeah. this, whole, this, is, this is comics and a Cuisinart. I enjoyed the heck out of this. This was fantastic. I really, I can't believe I really love Jason Todd you've, right now. You've managed to say the things that it takes to interest me in Jason Todd, as it turns out. I wouldn't have thought It's a great that. point to jump on. Batman, Run Robin 23, that's the number. You can jump right on there. It's not connected at all to the previous storylines. It's, it's a new place to start. And now the book I was most anticipating, I think the book most people were anticipating this week, was Batman Gates of Gotham, number one. This is our Batman yes. block. We're going to have a Spider-Man block in a second. <laughs> Scott Snyder's co-written miniseries that's exploring the past of Gotham as it's tied to the present. If you had asked odds makers in Vegas what the pick of the week was probably going to be, this would probably be the top of the list. And I enjoyed it a lot. The reason why I didn't make it the pick for, was two. One, I'm not quite sold on the art for this particular story. Mm-hmm. I think it's a bit too exaggerated. I think you needed a much more down-to-earth style for this kind of story. I agree. And two... I really was interested in the past storyline, whereas the present storyline I really wasn't all that interested in. Not not that I was uninterested, but I really just wanted to stay in the past. I can understand that. I agree with that. Except I really like the way that Snyder and uh, Kyle Higgins wrote the Bat Teens. The um, present story involves the Penguin, Dick Grayson Batman, Tim Drake as Red Robin, and Cassandra Cain, the middle... It was returned to Gotham after years. Yeah, and there's a little bit of Damien in there, too. And we knew that uh, Snyder could write both Dick and Damien, I think, but but getting 
or has, has he written Damien? I don't remember. But anyways, he he does a really good job with the the dynamic of of these guys, and yeah. they're not in costume. They're like running around in like track jackets and jeans, and they kind of have weird hair. But um, <laughs> but it's it's uh, it's a really good dynamic, and it's I think it would be very easy to make them sound like all the same person. But this does sort of function to me, even in this small space, as as being a you know a family. Well, the funny thing about that is for the first quarter of the book. I had misidentified the Batman. I'm Bruce, having trouble I, with that lately too. Because you know Bruce has the yellow circle, Dick doesn't have the yellow circle. And I just for some reason I was just so into reading it, I, I missed the the costume. And so for the first quarter, I thought it was Bruce, and I was like, wow, this is completely wrong. <laughs> this, this, is, this is a disaster because like, you know, he, he's written like Dick. So I was like, what? Whoa, this is. Then I went. Then I mm-hmm. went, wait a minute, which Batman is this? And I figured out. <laughs> and I went back. I went back from the beginning and started reading it again with that in my mind, and I loved it. Much, I loved it after that. But at first, I thought this is. This is wrong. This is all wrong. There's <laughs> also going to be a there's a steampunk looking villain that's going to come into play. So that's kind of interesting. I love the scene. There's a scene where I think it's is it Batman or yeah, it's it's Batman is in the bat boat and he's going through one of the I don't know it's if it's Finger River or one of the ones named after a Batman creator um, <laughs> under these bridges that have been collapsed. That's the, the big central plot for the present tense story. And seeing all these dead bodies floating yes. through the water. And it's a, just a very eerie visual. And it, sh- it it shows you the stakes more so than a lot of catastrophes in, in like Batman. You don't often see the, the, the bodies. Yeah, you don't see the, yeah. Well, the story in the past is that is the Wayne family, the Elliot family, and the Cobblepot family are building these bridges, the gates of Gotham. And in the that's in the past. In the, in the present, someone just blew up all the bridges uh, and alluding to the past. So uh-huh. they're, they're going to connect somehow. And I like seeing the Bat- Gotham City in the 1800s, I guess it was, and seeing these old, you know, old Alan Wayne. And, yeah, it's uh, 1881. I love that part of it because this is, as he said when he promoted this book, it's an area of Gotham we haven't seen. That we don't really go into the past of Gotham a lot, at least not lately. So that was the fun part for me. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I just, I don't know that the art's appropriate for the story, though. I agree with that. Now, entering the Spider-Man block, I'm not an Avengers Academy reader, so I'm curious what you guys thought of this Amazing Spider-Man issue 661, which featured the Avengers Academy. This is all uh, It was written by the same fellow who writes Avengers Academy, so it would, you know, obviously he's got the characters down. I thought it was a good fit. My main takeaway from uh, Amazing Spider-Man was that this is, this is one of Marvel's 399 books, and I have discovered this week that I would gladly pay twice that amount to never see the Fantastic Three in this book again already. <laughs> I could not be more ready for that to take a back seat for a little bit. I was a little surprised to see them in this issue again. I thought after the last arc... Surprised is a word. <laughs> I, made an, I made a noise that was not too different from that of surprise. You know, I feel like I'm already... And I don't mean any disrespect to Dan Slott or Christos Gage, but I'm already reading FF every month. I'm already reading Jonathan Hickman writing these characters... And seeing Spider-Man as sort of a, a backup character in an ensemble in this capacity already, I am buying this book to see what he's doing the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. And they got there, but for a second, it didn't look like they were going to get there. It had a strike against it at that point. But I mean, they, they, they touched on the fact that, part, that Peter used to be a teacher and sort of how he's missing that part of his life a little bit and how he's kind of trying to mold young minds in a way that he did not have anybody to mold him. But then he gets into the classroom environment and... All of the kids are miles ahead of him. He's, you know, he sounds like he's talking to them from the 1950s for a lot of it, which I thought was a riot. One of the students solves his problem of not being able to get a check written to him in a, in the span of two panels after 45 years of having that problem. 
you know, they, they look at him like he has two heads when he tries to talk about the dilemma of secret identities because to their generation, celebrity is the point of the whole endeavor. So I thought, I thought it was an interesting contrast between, you know, teen Peter Parker and the way kids are now. And they reminded me that Psycho Man exists, which is not terrible. It was interesting because I, I came out of the issue not really liking the Avengers Academy characters. Maybe it's because well, teenage, teenagers are all annoying at this point in my life. They, but. they are, but I mean, part of the point of Avengers Academy, which they couldn't really talk about at the time because it was sort of a twist at the beginning of the book, was that all of these kids are kids that Norman Osborn picked for his initiative because he saw their potential to be kind of dark Avengers. And now Hank is teaching them partly because he wants to mold their powers, but partly because he thinks they have great potential to be real sons of bitches. So that kind of shines through. Some are more jovial than others. Some are real assholes, but you know, I liked it. I didn't love it. It was okay. I I don't know. I think the book, the amazing Spider-Man is sort of floundering at this point. It used to have a very clear vision before the big time thing happened, and now that it's just one book, I feel like the, they don't really know what they're doing with it. Here we're doing the Fantastic Four, now we're doing the Avengers. Not Academy. according to these ads. I was going to say, I guess, that's, books, I guess that's why. Uh, I guess that's why IFM was not blurbed in that ad about how Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man is the best book on the market right now. It was the best book on the market when yeah. it was three times a month and it was a rotating team, but now it's. I feel like it's just directionless. I used to have an idea of what it was about. Now I don't know any idea what it's about. But uh, one book not directionless is Ultimate Spider-Man. Issue 158, when we last saw Ultimate Spider-Man, he was shot in the back by the Punisher. He's putting his webbing to the use that he could uh, patent it for and get <laughs> enough to never have to do this again. But uh, yeah, I, I thought this was great. It was exactly what I hoped it would be when I saw the last page of the last issue. It, you know, he's this is classic Peter, especially classic Peter in the hands of Bendis. He's putting, you know, he's bleeding out and has a serious injury, but the world needs him, and he puts the needs of the world ahead of his own needs. And part of that is because he feels like he's responsible for putting the world in danger in the first place, given the people that he has to go stop. Yeah, so he, uh, he clots up the, the wound with some webbing, which is a temporary fix. He, he really needs to go to the hospital, and there's some nice monologuing in his head where he's saying, should I go to the hospital? Because if I go to the hospital, then this is all over, because you can't go to the hospital and get this stitched up you know, and possibly, you know, take care of internal injuries without taking the mask off. Right. So this is a problem. This is a big turning point. And then he sees the Sinister Six or whatever we're calling them um, in this universe um, flying overhead. And he goes, (laughs) and he has to go track them and make sure that they don't cause any more damage. And luckily, Um, they're just going to his house. So that's a time saver. And I think Uh, that the the real interesting point of this issue is um, we get uh, that the Spider-Man bookends it, but the middle of the issue is all about Bobby Drake and uh, Johnny Storm, Iceman, and the Human Torch, who are going to be at the center of uh, Ultimate Comics X-Men come September. And this is just a, a sort of a really nice reminder that these characters are a lot of fun, and I'm kind of just reading this issue. I'm excited for both the the reborn version of Spider-Man and of Ultimate X-Men. Um, yeah. Just because these, mm-hmm. these characters are so interesting and they're doing cool stories here that they can't do in the regular Marvel universe. Is Ultimate X-Men one of the 60% of books that Scott Snyder now writes? 
it is. Yes. Nick Spencer, yeah. you mean? Oh, Nick Spencer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I how knew he dare I? Oh, no. Um, He's even taking this, other people's names now. I liked how you've got sort of the, I have to end my rope, badass Peter in this issue. And my favorite moment of the week was when he he appears on the street and the vulture flies at him and he just webs him in the face and flips him down the street. Yep. In sort of a very nonchalant manner to show this he's he means business right now. He's been shot in the back and he's pissed and he's capable. And I like that a lot because, you know, he's often goofy, but this is him not being at all goofy. He's annoyed now. And so that was my favorite part of the, of the whole week of comics. I read Last Mortal, number one, from Image and Top Cat. Did you guys read that? I didn't even hear about it until you mentioned it for this. We've been running a contest on ifanboy.com about it. Uh, if you pulled it on a fanboy, you were eligible to win an original page from it, which we'll talk about later at the end of the show. But it's a new miniseries from Top Cow, co-written by the publisher, Philip Sablik, and it's basically a crime story with a little bit of a supernatural twist. It's sort of a down-and-out criminal who gets caught up in a crime gone badly. His, his best friend gets killed. He's on the run. He decides he can't take it anymore. Puts a gun to his head, pulls the trigger, and the bullet bounces off his head, and he finds out that he can't die. Now, that's sort of the setup of the first issue. But it was really fun and interesting, and it looked different. It was black and white. The art was was photo referency, but it was very sort of sketchy and gritty, too, at the same time. And it was really appropriate, very much unlike anything else I've been reading this week. So it was a very nice antidote to all the superhero stuff, uh, even if there was a little bit of a supernatural twist to it. Uh, Last Mortal number 1 was really fun. If you if you like the idea of a... He's not a murderer. He won't, because that's part of the problem in the story, is he won't murder. Mm-hmm. But he's a criminal, and he and he, he finds out he can't die for some reason. So now the mystery is, is open to us, is why can't he die? And he doesn't know. Why Why did he know he can't die? So this is that sounds a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. So that, check that out if you're looking for something different. Uh, Last Mortal number 1 from Image, Top Cow. So as I said, this month is our family May giveaway month for members. We've been giving away stuff every week on the show. We've been giving away piles of books. I sent out a bunch of boxes last week. Ron's got some boxes to send out. We've been sending out lots of stuff. This week we're giving out Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes DVD packs. We have two sets of DVDs, and we're going to be giving those away at the end of the show. And next week we're giving away Thor Fandango gift cards from Fandango. If you go to Fandango, you can find all your movie tickets. You can buy them online. You can get, get them ahead of time. That's how I bought my Thor tickets. I had my tickets ready to go. when I As did I. So if you go to iFanboy.com, there's a banner across the top for Fandango. You can buy tickets there, not just for Thor, for anything. And we'll be giving away special edition Thor gift cards, which have Thor characters on them, and they're limited edition. We're giving those away uh, next week. You can use those for any movie you want, not just Thor. And there's a recommend. lot coming out, so if it's going to be uh, If they only sold Thor tickets, that would be a bad business model. Yeah. <laughs> well, Very short-sighted. Still, so the, those will be given out next week. Look forward to that. So check out Fandango for all your movie needs, and check out iFanboy.com. And the, use the banners if you're going to buy movie tickets. Really, It would help us out a little bit, and it doesn't cost you anything. Really appreciate that. You can become a member at iFanboy.com slash store. That's how you become eligible to win these things. You can buy a m- monthly membership or yearly membership. We really appreciate it. We'll be giving away the stuff at the end of the show. So if you're waiting to hear if you won, hang out to the end. In the meantime, the Rocketeer Adventures number one came out this week from IDW. And I was super psyched for this. Even though I don't have a lot of experience with Rocketeer comics. I've read a few of them. Mostly I just right. love the, char- the character's design from the movie and from the big IDW book I bought last year. So I'm not a huge Rocketeer fan in that sense, but I like the way it looks. But I was excited because... IDW is putting out an anthology series with all-star creators on it. Yeah, I was blown away when I saw who was responsible for this book. You had John Cassidy writing and drawing a story. You had Mike Allred writing and drawing a story. You had a story written by Kurt Busiek. You had uh, pinups from Mike Mignola and a Dave Stevens pinup uh, who was a creative rocketeer. Totally dropped the ball. I totally and, dropped the ball and missed this. Yeah, and uh, I know we got a Darwin Cook story coming up, and <sighs> basically it's just it's yeah. it's a bunch of big time creators doing Rocketeer shorts. This was three short stories, all just sort of fun it, action. It was everything. When you hear that list of talent, it is everything that you would hope and expect it to be. 
Oh, man. Are there Zeppelins? There's a lot of flying around. Yeah. I'll tell you that There's going to be Zeppelins. There are going to be. There's rocket packs. There's punching dudes. There's Betty Page being all sassy. And then there's a lot of there's a lot of things you expect from a great Rocketeer story. There's at least uh, there's at least one picture of a King Kong samurai. Yes. And uh, and, a, and a robot <laughs> octopus. Um, <laughs> this is like a book made yeah. for Paul. I'm going. Yeah, and, I know. I got to go out yeah. and grab this. I just totally missed it. Mike Allred and John Cassidy in the same in the same book, which is different styles, but and it's not the same Mike Allred style you're used to. It's a bit more Paul Popish, but yeah. it, it really works for the story. And the Mike Mignola, right. the Mike Mignola pinup randomly has a Hellboy monster in it, because why not? That just prob- yeah. that probably demonstrates my ignorance. That's probably a huge Rocketeer villain I just don't know about. I actually enjoyed the Kurt Busiek story the best, which was He's the perfect uh, for that kind of thing. It's the uh, Rocket Rocketeer off fighting the war, and so it's Betty while she's home by herself getting his letters and yeah. being hit hit on by the creepy guy at her job. It was a really good story. Oh yeah, there's the samurai gorilla. He's huge. Yeah. Great. It was very fun. So if you like that kind of thing, check that out. Now this is our weekly Uncanny X Force issue because right. apparently. It's coming out every other week. X-Force number 10. I think this is a nice bounce back from the previous issue, which was very, I don't even know. It was, it was very static. And those scenes of Magneto <laughs> drinking from a glass were very, I don't know, indulgent <laughs> and not very good. Um, but this is great. This is we're we're finally going into the sort of the culmination of the Dark Angel saga, which sounds terrible, but it's it's actually very <laughs> interesting. This is Archangel, Warren Worthington, going through some growing pains with his apocalypse origins. And what's interesting here, I think, that you start off this series with that arc about killing apocalypse as a little kid, sort of the, the very trite Hitler as a child story, what would you do if you yeah. went back mm-hmm. in time? Which is sort of like a kind of a one-known idea, and, and you can either rally around that or you can be like, been there, done that. But but this, I think what they're what they're doing is is saying, you know that Apocalypse is evil, so the easy solution is, yeah, we got to kill this kid. But now that that's happened, it looks like Warren's headed down that same path. Mm-hmm. And if you're friends or a lover of Warren Worthington's, are you going to be able to kill this guy? And Wolverine can't. When he has the opportunity to, well, so he's his buddy. It's harder yeah. when he's your buddy. And I, so I, I think it, it does a very good job of setting up those relationships. And this is me talking about Warren Worthington and Apocalypse. And a year ago, I know, you would, I know your your love of mutants. <laughs> exactly. So this is a miracle book. This makes me very very interested in in all of these storylines. I love and it. And see, that's that's hilarious because in my free time right now, I'm reading the '80s X Factor from number one. So. I've just seen the the first couple of appearances of Angel in that guise, and while I love Rick Remender very much, and Fear Agent is a delight, I think that Uncanny X Force was designed in a lab to repel me. <laughs> so I'm waiting to now you you've piqued my curiosity. If you come away with this as a known mutant hater, if you come away from this right. with a recommendation, I may very well pick up the trade. Well, you know, it's 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 a weird situation because it's it, do I enjoy this because I haven't seen any of these things before and so this is uh, all very fresh to me or is mm-hmm. it just that this really is a very dynamic take on some old stories that might not have been put to the best use up until now? Yeah. Can you at least promise me that they've sent Deadpool on vacation? Deadpool didn't talk at all in this issue. I oh, don't you're saying all the right things. I've actually enjoyed Deadpool in this series. I do I, too. I enjoyed this book a lot. I don't know if it needs to come out every two weeks, but it's there's fun. A, there's a lot of that going around at Marvel. I, I'm no. always surprised to see it, but I don't mind. <laughs> right, never this, disappointed. This, is, this yeah. is my favorite Marvel book right now. Power Girl 24 came out. This is, I believe, this might be Judd Winnick's last issue. Interesting. You're kidding. Well, it's it's to be continued, though. 
Then maybe it's the next one's his last issue. That's too bad. I have a knack for joining these at the back. <laughs> this was really good. Yeah, it this was. was another really good issue from Judd Wink. Not Sammy Bosser this time. It's Hendry Prasetya. And I liked the idea that the B story is, is about Power Girl trying to create this public persona. And she's talking to Bruce about it because he's got a lot of uh, experience with having a persona who's a businessman, which is what she is. But the main thrust of the story is about this Muslim superhero. Or not even superhero, just a Muslim guy with powers. Mm-hmm. And his plane's going down and his powers could save the plane, but he's scared to use them because he doesn't want people to think he's actually crashing the plane. So when it finally comes down to it, he decides to save the plane, gets down in a very scary way to use his powers, which was to sort of control the weather to keep it buffered with wind. Right as he decides to do that, Power Girl shows up and saves the plane, so now everyone thinks he's a terrorist, and so he's been locked up in prison for... Oh, and it's just such an interesting way to explore that issue, because he very he's like, well... I, I can see that this looks bad, but I'll just I'll just go with these sky marshals into the uh, back room and calmly explain to them what happened, and we'll, we'll settle this. this out. We'll sort it out, and, and it's we'll like, be fine. And yeah. sure enough, he wins an all expenses paid trip to beautiful Guantanamo, Cuba, and six months later, he's still in an orange jumpsuit trying to get somebody to listen to him. And just his, I felt his frustration so palpably. He's worried about never, what's going on with his dad, and yeah. it's just get me oh. out of here. And it, it reminded me a lot of that, that one plot line in the, uh, the West wing, um, September 11th episode, Oh gosh. sort of a special yeah. where, where Leo is being kind of, uh, atypically a dick, uh, to this <laughs> one guy because he shares a name with someone who popped up on, I don't know, Homeland security radar or something. I guess that wasn't a thing yet, but anyways, right. but so it was a very similar situation, but, uh, I thought this, this was very compelling and interesting and a good use of Kurok, the, yes. the fake, the fictional city. And this, is, this oh, has been an interesting week because we've been covering uh, DCU maps on the site. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we get Gates of Gotham, which goes into some of the geography the school, and the rivers yeah. and bridges. And then we get Kurok, which we have a map of that on the site. So if you're interested in that. Um, in the Middle East of the DCU, uh, it's still still around, even though that map's from 1990. I, I will say, I mean, and, and Marvel has them too. They have Latveria and Wakanda and stuff. And usually those FACO countries really get on my nerves. But in this case, I feel like it does the story a lot of favors because you don't have to tie actual you know, geopolitics you, into the story. And you don't have to dance around stuff. You can, yeah. you, can, you can just tell the story, not worry about real life. West Wing did the same thing. They had a fake African country and they had oh, a that's fake right. Middle Eastern country too. I'd forgotten all about that. We need to have a viewing party, Paul. Yes, we do. A Skype viewing party. Uh, tell me this. This is my third issue of Power Girl now. Uh, I bought the first one so that I could do the last pick of the week podcast I was on. Uh, what is with all these paternalistic dickholes in Power Girl's life lecturing her on her secret identity? Yeah, it's an issue. Uh, it's just between <laughs> Superman and Batman. Going, it's your own fault. Yeah, but Batman lectures everyone. In <laughs> yes, every he book. does. That, that's what he does. I, mean, I think of that. I think of that as a, as a Superman thing. Maybe I'm. Maybe I've got yeah, it. That's why one of the, the great crowd-pleasing moments from last year was Stephanie Brown slapping Batman in the face, but then also <laughs> yeah. freaking out that she did that. Yeah, that was a great moment. Was that just, stuff? Everybody and, – and that that national security agent, everybody's very concerned with – they're all up in her business. I don't I don't feel like uh, a Robin has ever had this problem, and he's 11 years old, but everybody's everybody's all up in <laughs> yeah. Power Girl's grill, and she runs a company. I, I feel like she needs, to, she needs to team up with Wonder Woman next and have her tell her, don't listen to these idiots. Wonder Woman would be like, who are you? I don't know. They came up with the, with the iPhone killer, too. That's a month yes, long battery. That's right. <laughs> the iPhone killer. I, I need to read those specs again. It sounded like the iPhone killer had four megs of memory or something. Yeah, it was a little yeah, off. It was, it was, it was something. Yeah. Now, for a book we don't ever really talk about in the show because none of the regulars read it Invincible Iron Man 504. What's, what's going on? I, in that book? I knew this was my moment. 
when I, I, I feel like I have <laughs> a chance. When I guest star, I have a responsibility to look at the book I buy that nobody else buys and then bring it up at whatever cost. And and to, to sweeten the pot a little bit in Ron's honor, this book is entirely concerned with the misadventures of the Grey Gargoyle right now. Uh, because he is one of the guys who gets one of those fear itself hammers. He's the uh, worthy. Yes. Are we sure? Because we didn't see what actually <laughs> happened in Fear Itself number two. Right. Yeah, we did. A lot of hammer gathering. Well, we and actually, in the background. it's funny you say that because one of the hammers in Invincible Iron Man 2 is shown falling in the Kunlun Mountains. And I was like, what can of worms is that going to open up somewhere <laughs> down the road? I didn't even hear about that. But yeah, so basically the Grey Gargoyle is sitting in Paris, you know, having a cappuccino and eating a baguette. And he sees a hammer fall. And he goes over to figure out what the deal is. And the next time we see him, he's a great big monster. And we cut to Broxton, where Tony is dealing with the fact that Asgard just disappeared. And now there are all these crises happening. And he volunteers to fly to Paris just because he felt like it. And when he gets there, the entire city of Paris has been turned into stone. Every person he encounters, except for one who he accidentally gets stoned. And uh, it looked for a second there like the cars had turned to stone and the buildings and stuff. And then he has a huge fight with this gray gargoyle hammer-wielding monster who for some reason is not turning him to stone. So did you enjoy this? I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring it out. Uh, I, I, did, I did enjoy it. Uh, and, and the last page, I don't know how they're going to undo because it's the sort of thing you have to undo. Because if I was reading it correctly, it looked like Iron Man woke up under a pile of rubble to discover that the Grey Gargoyle had smashed the entirety of Paris, huh. if I was seeing it correctly. But oh, uh, it's possible. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was good in the way that uh, you, we talked about. They're running out of things to say about Bendis. It was good in the way Invincible Iron Man is good. Matt Fraction writes Tony Stark very interestingly. He writes Pepper Potts very interestingly. He writes their company dealings and their interpersonal relationships very interestingly. Salvador La Roca is past my last nerve. I feel like I have to be hospitalized for the nerve damage he's doing now. He draws uh, Tony like Josh Holloway with wax lips in his mouth, and I don't know when that's going to stop. But he, he knows his way around robots and monsters. There you go. Yeah, I would recommend it. It's another one of those books that fleshes out fear itself. You don't have to read it to appreciate the story, but it's a, it's a nice coloring. And uh, if you're one of the Grey Gargoyle fanatics, you're in luck. Speaking of tie-in books, I picked up Booster Gold 44. I wasn't meaning to. I actually haven't read Booster Gold since Jeff Johns left many, many years ago. But I decided I was going to try all the Flashpoint tie-ins, and this is one of them. So I figured I'd give it a go. And the big reveal in this issue is that Barry Allen isn't the only one who went to the Flashpoint or woke up in the Flashpoint world all confused. Also, Booster Gold has. he, So he is the same Booster Gold we know from the uh. regular DCU. He was off gallivanting around the time stream only to return home to the Flashpoint world where he's immediately mistaken for an Atlantean and attacked by the military because they think he's invading because he looks kind of like Aquaman because he's blonde. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a sly comment on how comic artists all, all draw the same <laughs> face on everybody. Uh, so really this is just Booster Gold showing up in the, in the Flashpoint world and not knowing what the heck's going on and, and, and fighting the military and then, and then running around trying to figure out what's happening. And it was good. It was, a, it was a total jump on point. If you've never read Booster Gold, you can read this issue. There's even an origin recap. It's very much a... We're hoping people who will come here from Flashpoint. Is it a or, is it a funny book? Is it an action book? Is well, like well, this issue was actiony. It wasn't very funny because yeah. he was he was immediately attacked by the government. But Booster Gold just got on my radar because I after years after everyone else, I finally got fifty two from the library. Right. So I've, I've yeah. gone from like not really knowing who he is to thinking he's one of the most interesting characters in the. Yeah. Well, if you liked him before, I think you'd like this issue. If you're if you're yeah. if you're reading Flashpoint, it's certainly a nice companion piece to know that there's another character out there who knows that Flashpoint is wrong. Is interesting. And now that you mention it, if it was going to be anybody, it would be him. 
it's it's very interesting that they're turning Booster Gold into the sort of thankless hero behind the scenes. I do like that part, portion of it. Yeah. So I mean, he used to be just total prick, but now he's you know the the guy who actually fixes things, but you can never really know about it. He's the true hero of the DCU. He doesn't yeah. get credit for it. I wanted to talk about the last issue of the Sorcerer King's arc of Superman Batman. It went from uh, issues eighty one, and now this is issue eighty four. It's by this Colin is, Bunn. Yeah. And Chris Cross, and this is his big. I talked about it uh, with him for a talk explode a couple weeks ago or last week, something. I don't know. I don't understand time anymore. But <laughs> anyways, it, it's sort of a big magic event with all the DC uh, magic characters, and you've got Shadow Pact and stuff that played a role earlier on. This features Beardy Aquaman, let's see, Stanley and his monster, Tracy Thirteen. Clarion the Warlock, Scream Queen, who's a character that basically only Colin Bunn has ever heard of, and Jason Blood, who uh, becomes the demon Etrigan in here, which is very cool. This is a four-issue arc. I kind of wish that he'd had a little bit more room because it does feel it's like sort of rushing to the finish line at the end of this, but if you like Elseworlds stories and if you like the idea of Batman on a dragon and Superman with a magic broadsword, this is the book for you. And uh, all the great magic characters. It's it's really interesting. And I think Colin Bunn does great stuff with like uh, arcane supernatural things. So yeah, this, this right seems this spot. seems like it's in the sort of six gun wheelhouse, and he's got that defenders thing coming up. Absolutely. This is all like- about the like the evil magic characters transform the sun, and now they have to fix that. And sort of like a medieval looking Batman gets all messed up and burnt up by the end. But it's uh, it's sort of saving the time stream and there's a really interesting idea at the end of it where they've saved the day and Superman sort of is trying to remember all these adventures but because he sort of saved time it's he says it feels like a fading dream it was sort of an interesting way to look at these Elseworld stories so it was a lot of fun so I recommend either grabbing the trade or these four issues so those are the books of the week we wanted to talk about. But if you go to fanboy.com slash comics, you can make your pull list for the week. You can rate and review your books. You can even make your own pick of the week. So we, let's take a look at the top five picks of the week for the community, the iFanboy community on fanboy.com. Number five, and these are all books will be familiar to us <laughs> since we, we discussed all five of them. Number five is Uncanny X-Force, number 10 with 6% of the vote. Number four was The Rocketeer Adventures, number one, with 7.7% of the vote, none of whom were Paul. <laughs> number three was Avengers, number 13, 11.7% of the vote, which was the actual pick of the week. Number two was Ultimate Comics, Spider-Man, number 158, at 17%. And number one book, so being surprised to no one, was Batman Gates of Gotham, number one, with 28.1% of the vote from the iFan base. So go to fanbase.com slash comics, make your pull list, and then on Wednesday when you read your books, you can make your pick of the week and hopefully uh, push your book to the top. I just pulled the Rocketeer book and made it my pick. I'll okay. go buy it tomorrow. <laughs> So in addition to making your pull list and making your picks, you can also write reviews, and we'd like to, like to take some reviews and read them on the show. The first one is from C.T. Rose Jr., who reviewed Tiny Titans number 40 and gave the story a 3 out of 5 and the art a 3 out of 5. And at the time of recording, nobody made it their pick of the week. And C.T. Rose Jr. says, Tiny Titans is always a fun read. It's cute and playful. And surprisingly, for a kid's book, there are a lot of running gags. It has a very subtle continuity that you really don't need to know to enjoy the book. Anyone can pick up an issue of Tiny Titans and not feel the slightest bit lost. That said, it does reward the longtime reader by making references to things that have come before. This issue focuses on Croc, which is probably my least favorite recurring character. I don't find jokes involving him to be that funny. Despite the heavy focus on Croc in this issue, it was still enjoyable for me, just not to the level of enjoyment I usually have for this title. We haven't talked about Tiny Titans in a long time. It's a fun book. No, although I did just recommend it to my sister for her son. Like, after not having thought about it in ages, just yesterday, and now here it is. Good kids, kids seem to love it, so yeah. that's good. We need more of those books. That we do. Kingdom of Evan reviewed Ultimate Alpha Flight, <laughs> or just regular <laughs> Alpha Flight. 
Kingdom of Heaven reviewed Alpha Flight. It's getting hot. Uh, <laughs> Alpha Flight 0.1, the incredibly stupidly numbered zero. Oh, God, yeah. Gave them a story of 5 out of 5 and the art of 5 out of 5. And the time of recording, 0.32%. You see... Alpha they, Flight 0.1. They named it 0.1 so that people would know the first issue was a good jumping on point. God. Yeah. All right. So Kingdom of Heaven said, when Fred Vadlanti said he was bringing back Alpha Flight back to its roots... He wasn't kidding. The story moves like a knife through butter to the heart of the characters, showing off their powers and explaining their relationships to one another. And while he's at it, Van Lente manages to squeeze in a badass purple girl moment. Think about that. Purple girl. I couldn't even have imagined the sentence badass purple girl moment until I read this. And when you read it, you'll know why. Is it like Purple Man or is that different? I have no idea. I was going to pick this up, but then I had 20 plus books. That's exactly what happened to me. I was very interested, but it was just too big of a week. I'll probably get the series because Dale Eaglesham is drawing it, but... Uh, it was a huge weekend. It wasn't Eagle Show, so a very, a very good buzz on it, though. So it sounds like something worth checking out, and I'm glad for all the Alpha Flight fans. I'm gonna wait till 0.5. <laughs> so those are the books of the week. Go to fanwood.com/comics. You can rate and review your books, and you can make your pull list, and you can write reviews, and you can make your picks, and you can be involved in this in the show, which is fun. Now to the emails. Our first email is from Sean, who says, "I was curious if you guys had any suggestions." For good storylines, the Marvel cosmic line that don't require a lot of knowledge on previous events. I recently picked up Infinity Gauntlet and really enjoyed it. However, I'm fairly unfamiliar with Marvel as a whole, so I'm not sure where to continue. Oh, gosh. Now, the what's interesting is I, I of course, read Infinity Gauntlet when it, when it came out in the 90s and then really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read Nova in the 2000s and really enjoyed it. I don't think you really need a lot to jump onto the current. Yeah. Right? Um, I, well, I mean, what, what there is of the current is basically just Annihilators at this point. Like, that's that whole overarching... In the current issues, but he could go back and get the trades. Oh, of yeah. Well, if, he, if he got the current era uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, I picked that up with issue two, having never, never read a Marvel comic book or even Annihilation in my life. And I, you know, they took a page and said, here's what's going on. And then you were right in the thick of it. So I think he'd be fine. They, books these days are designed to explain to you what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, There's something really fun about the Marvel Cosmic Universe, especially, and I, I really like Guardians of the Galaxy, which I read without reading a lot of Nova. So yeah. I, I just stuck to that. I liked the team aspect. And I think it's there's something fun about just diving headfirst into it and just being a little bit confused. I think it's fun because the ideas are so heady anyway, and you're just finding your way as you go along. It's worthwhile because... From the get-go, the character dynamics are very interesting. The relationships are cool. It's a very fun book. This is Abnett and Lanning's Guardians of the Galaxy. That's where I would recommend jumping on. Yeah, and I mean, they they have a very... Their their approach to these books was always sort of like, no matter where you came in, you sort of came in in the middle of the action because it was just always sort of moving, which is very... Like, Star Wars sort of begins that way. Like, you're you're right in the middle of a fight scene. So I think, you know, they, they kind of design it for you to just grab on as it flies past and, and, you know, take it from there. And I never had any problem with it. So the Nova, the Guardians of the Galaxy trades, you can check those out, or Annihilators currently in issues. Although, I, for, for reasons I don't even know because I don't read Annihilators, I feel like Annihilators is not a place to Annihilators, about. and you can take this from me, is so heavy on ROM continuity, I can't imagine who other than me it is for. But people <laughs> seem to love it besides me. Thank we're, goodness. We're going to get yelled at if we don't mention the Annihilation Trilogy and Annihilation Conquests. Yeah, those led up to the Nova and Guardians yeah, series. Right. So there's a lot out there, and I think you can read them. As someone who, who didn't know a lot about Cosmic Marvel World, I enjoyed them. Well, stuff I read anyway, so you can totally get on that. Okay, ready for another email? 
Let's do it. Okay, this is from Caesar R. Maybe it's because of all news of the upcoming Zack Snyder film, but I've really been in the mood to read some Superman. Now, I've read the John Byrne reboot stuff and even the more recent Jeff Johns comics as well, but there's a huge gap in between. So my question, are there any Superman stories in the 90s that are worth reading? Obviously, the 90s were not the greatest period for a lot of characters, but just from browsing around, it looks like it was the worst for Superman. First, they killed him, and then they brought him back, but with a really horrible mullet. And then for some reason, he became blue and electric. I hope I'm wrong. And that there is some awesome stuff out there to read. So any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. He pretty much summed it up. Um, it was a dark time for Superman in the 90s. It was he, he got the worst because they were so desperate to make him relevant. And the worst thing you can do to Superman is try to make him hip and relevant. Does he have good moments in Morrison's JLA? Yes. Now, the, what I'd say the best Superman from that era was not even Superman book. It was Morrison's JLA who got the fact that Superman is Superman. He's awesome for a reason and not because they, you want to give him a mullet, which was a horrible idea, <laughs> and, or make him electric. And he, he even took the blue electric Superman and made it cool and interesting, which was something they could not do in his regular book. Look, people will say there's some good stuff, and there was some stuff I enjoyed in there because it was a decade. You can't write off the whole decade. But is it good enough to worth hunting the back issues because they're not collected, certainly? Right. I, I, don't, I wouldn't think so. I think it's just just read JLA and, and just read the modern stuff. And if you want more Superman, read Elseworlds stuff. Or can we can we go a little further past the the '90s and before the John stuff in recent years? I would suggest I like Kurt Busiek's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he he has a there's like a two trades of some I think it's called Camelot Falls. I don't know what other people think of that, but I think it's it's very interesting. And I think the Clark and Lois stuff in there is is very good. So I enjoyed that one. Secret Identity was good. Yes. But that's also that's an Elseworlds story yeah. and that's out of print. Oh, but, is it? Which is yeah. insane. It, it that was how Stuart Eminem got on my radar, man. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there's good stuff out there, but I wouldn't rec- necessarily recommend any of the ma- regular books. I mean, yes, though there was there was some interesting stuff that happened for the most part. I don't know that's worth tracking down. It's a now, lot of effort. Was Superman's mullet like the Red Hulk's mustache? Like, did it appear? He, no, no, he, he he had it all the time. So Clark Kent was walking around with like a he had a ponytail. Oh, that yes, that is did. cool. That's extreme. The idea was that while he was off in the Kryptonian gestation pod, his hair grew. Only, it grew only in the back, <laughs> it grew on the top front. It seemed to me that the and no comic- mortal scissor could tame it. It's true, but it seemed I mean, to me the comic artists at the time just didn't know how to draw long hair, so they just drew him normally and then put a little bit longer stuff in the back, rather than give him like all new hair, which was a big disaster. Even when I was a kid, I realized that was a disaster. So, send us an email contact at ifanboy.com if you have any questions or comments or concerns and stuff we want to talk about in the show send it there and of course iFanboy is part of the digital comics provider Graphically part of the Graphically family Graphically has over 3,000 comics from Marvel Top Cow Boom IDW and more and more and more coming each and every week just added Dynamite this week yeah there's tons of Archie there's all kinds of stuff in you, grab, uh, you can grab Takio on there Yes. Yeah, uh, I just uh, got the aforementioned Infinity Gauntlet the other day. Ooh, really? I didn't know Infinity Gauntlet. Infinity Gauntlet's yes, on there, too. That's awesome. So you can enjoy digital comics on the web, any Android device, your iPhone or iPad. Follow Twitter.com graphically for all of the details. And let's sneak one voicemail in there before we go. Hey, guys. This is Ben from Austin, Texas. I have a question. Do you all feel that DC has been handing, having their butts handed to them on a quality basis uh, over the past couple of months? Because I certainly feel I'm reading less and less DC titles uh, since January of this year. Even their draw line of 2.99 isn't hooking me. So, do you think Marvel just put some more product, or do you, see, do you think DC is just lacking the quality there? Uh, thanks for your question. Thanks for answering my question, guys. Hopefully, answer it. Bye. 
Now, we mentioned on a show a while ago, not a while ago, a few weeks ago, I think, in passing, that we thought DC was having a rough go of it creatively, and I, I, I have to agree with that, I think. Right now, if you're looking at the terms of overall quality, I think Marvel's line is much stronger. I think you've got a really strong pocket in the Batman books, but I think if yes. you look at the Superman books, on, and on the whole, if you look at Flash after the, the first arc, if you look at the Green Lantern books, which are still mired in that storyline, if you look at Justice League, which has been 10 years now of a book that's almost irrelevant, <laughs> the Justice Society used to be a big book quality wise now it's it's just if you look at almost all the family of books there's problems batman books aside there's almost a brain drain happening at dc where all the people that come up on dc get stolen by marvel and then dc's got no one left and they, the scott snyder's like the last guy left at dc who came up to acclaim and they've got him on basically running the batman show which is why the books are so good and grant morrison of course is over there just still doing that i think you're right ben i think right now dc has a problem with quality and I think- this is so interesting to hear because it was a, a little over a year ago that Everyone was taking pot shots at the heroic age and how it was the beginning of the end for Marvel as a line. Like their whatever creative renaissance they may have enjoyed had been killed by overexposure to Norman Osborn and whatever else. Well, that's the cyclical nature of comics. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a few years, it'll switch back around. That's you know, I remember we did a show on DC and Marvel last year, our video show, and we we all agreed that DC had a much better creative you know vision at the moment. It just so happens that yeah, I remember not the, the pendulum <laughs> the pendulum slides both ways. You know, yeah. sometimes yeah. Marvel, sometimes DC. I think right now. Flashpoint is hurting, and not for the story, but the fact that the whole line is in limbo. It's it, it does feel like a lot of the eggs are in the Flashpoint basket, and you know, like yeah. I, if you if you asked me, if you forced me to say, you know, like where where do my loyalties lie in terms of what what characters and what universes do I really enjoy? And I'm, I consider myself a DC guy, but right now I'm just kind of enjoying the fact that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on at Marvel because I'm not a non-Marvel guy. I just yeah. you know. Typically, yeah. I would sway towards DC. Right now, just because of the creative things going on, there's a lot of stuff going on at Marvel that's it's really a lot exciting. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying mutant books. So I mean, I there's, there's a lot going on. There's great Thor stuff going on, great Avengers stuff. Thunderbolts is awesome. But over at DC, I think really, I think, Connor, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's all about that pocket in the Batman universe. There's some really great stuff going on. Yeah. Like, God, I love Batgirl. And, and Detective Comics is so good right now. And just I love the whole Batman setup right now. It's just it's it's in a perfect spot. And, and, and that's not to say there aren't good DC books out there. There no. are. But I think on the whole, you look at it. And I think what's happening that's interesting creative-wise is happening at Marvel. Well, that's just because that's happening right now. No and way. I like I've, I buy more Marvel books now than DC, but that is not new, you know. Right. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I mean, now that you mention it, yes, I did. I was buying The Flash, and I've lost interest in that. I aggressively lost interest in Green Lantern. But at the same time, I'm buying Power Girl for the first time in my life. You know, I'm on Detective for the first time since I was in eighth grade. I mean, they, they, there are good stories to be found everywhere they're sure. just not always the most mass appeal wide continuity changing and you it's, know it's a cycle as, as connor yeah. said so it'll wait long enough around. and it'll, it'll switch yeah it's not it's not like the old days where where the creative team stayed at the same house for you know 20 years at a time now the shirts take off their shirts and the skins put their shirts on and they all right. walk across the aisle every year and a half and you know so there's no sense in even having a brand loyalty really he mentioned the number of books, and that's sort of a separate issue. That's That goes to market share, which is, I think, a combination of quality and the fact that Marvel puts out a lot more books, which is why I think market share doesn't change. But that's a whole other – that's separate from quality. That's just an economics. Right. Oh, and Jonah so, Hex. Jonah Hex, very good. Jonah Hex is still <laughs> Oh, good. yeah. If you want to call our voicemail lines, 888-FANBOYS-326-2697. Call us in. Tell us your name, where you're from. Leave a me- about 30 to 40-second message. We can't play these two-minute messages that you leave, which we like to listen to, but we can't play them on the show. 
So that is our show for the week. We have uh, some stuff to tell you about coming up. Paul, do okay, you have a show coming up? Yeah, on Monday, uh, I'm doing my first Don't Miss podcast with Justin Gray, part of the writing team with Jimmy Palmiotti on a one-shot from Image called The Tattered Man. So uh, stay tuned for that. So he is real. He is, <laughs> he is real, as, as far as I can tell. I'm going to be very interested to hear this one. It's, it's not, it's not Palmiotti doing a voice. Sounded very organic, and yeah, it's not a sock puppet. <laughs> okay, well, that's... Person. Let's don't miss on Monday. A real person with very interesting things to say. Yeah. If you're looking back on the feed, you'll see we did a show on Smallville this past week. So it's behind this show and the feed between this show and last week's show. Me and Paul and Ron and Mike Romo got together to talk for about an hour about 10 years of Smallville. We so spent much half, fun. Half an I hour can't... on the 10 years and half an hour on the final episode. Yeah. And sort of, it was a freewheeling conversation that went all over the place. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so if you, if you watched Smallville... At all, I think you find something. Even even if you didn't, I think it was a fun conversation, and you guys very, you guys like it more than I do overall. But I think it was very entertaining. I I enjoyed doing it a lot. I watched the finale at least forty percent because I knew you guys would do one of these, and I wanted to hear it. It was a really fun talk, actually. We had a really good time. So check that out. It's on the feed behind this show, or go to fmw.com. You can stream it on there. I was almost going to say live, but it's not live. Prizes! Let's give away some prizes. <laughs> Let's give away some giveaway prizes. The first giveaway was for the Avengers DVD sets. There's two of them. The two winners, you get the first two sets, which comprise the first half of season one. It's very confusing, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> that's the uh, way they the, sell kids stuff, man. So the two winners are iFanboy members Jason Whitney and Sam Grover. Jason Whitney and Sam Grover. You've each won Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes Volume 1 and 2. So you'll be looking for those in the mail soon enough. Right. And we had a contest at iFanboy.com this week. If you pulled Last Mortal Number 1 from Image, we picked a random person who had pulled it, the book. And you're going to win a page of original art from the first issue. That's awesome. And you can see that page on iFanboy.com. The winner is Justin Bernard, who is Convoy83 on the website. One of my favorite Transformers. And he won the he won the page, the giveaway, and he all he has to do is take a picture of himself with the book, send it in to prove that he actually bought it and did just pull it to win the prize. <laughs> so congratulations to all you winners. The first two guys won because they were iFanboy members at iFanboy.com slash store to become one. All right, so check out iFanboy.com for the Pick the Week review and more in-depth comic book discussion and all the important news and discussion topics and maps that we decided to throw up. Lots of maps this week. Lots of maps. Uh, all of our new writers plus Word Balloon. Look at iFanboy.com slash about to see the social network links. There's a video show. Last week, Frank Miller. Next week, Born on a Bayou, Swamp Thing. I enjoyed the Frank Miller show, actually. As someone who's on it, I enjoyed it watching <laughs> it's, it's it. It's a fun episode. You can email us at contact at ifanboy.com or leave a voicemail at 1-888-FANBOYS. That's 1-888-326-2697 with any questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, recipes, manifestos, etc. We got a lot of comments this week in the voicemail line. You know, really? normally, normally we get a lot of questions, and this week we had a lot of comments, which is fine. We like comments. It's just when you're going to make the show, you're like, oh, we're all questions. <laughs> but uh, you can call whatever you like, so it's fine. We even got a business proposal. So there's all kinds of things happen on the, on the voicemail line. Finally, if you like the show, write a review on iTunes for this show, for the video show, for the Don't Miss show, for the Word Balloon show, for Tom vs. Aquaman, for all the shows you listen to. Just go write a review. It's really fast and simple. It really helps the show out. And if it's, you know, it's, we really appreciate it. The more reviews there are, the easier it is for people to find the show and know what it's about and decide if it's good or not. So really appreciate it. Spreading the iFanboy word in iTunes. And that is it. You guys did a great job filling in for those two layabouts and loafers <laughs> who left me and Paul to die. Can you, can you the tell the, can you tell the moment when the cold medicine wore off or yes. <laughs> daddy needs a hit, baby. <laughs> If you guys need help writing stuff, just ask. It's too late now. <laughs> too late. <laughs> right. Okay, fair enough. We like being martyrs. We've been writing yeah. the website all week, Jim. <laughs> Let's do the part I'd... where we say our names. Okay. I'm Connor. I'm Paul. I'm Jim.
Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. I think it's time that I wanna-